Good morning. Um, please read with me Acts 16, 1 through 5. Paul also came to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for, the, uh, for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Please pray with me. Lord, I pray that our church is also strengthened in faith and that we increase in numbers. And Lord, I pray that um, you touch our hearts, that you, um, I thank you that you are with us uh, in the good times and the bad times. And I pray that our hearts are open today, that we will learn something new. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you very much, my friend Jenny. Well... We're not in Luke today. It kind of makes me sad. Yeah, almost three years, you know, you get used to a book and then it just runs out on you. We're probably going to jump in. I haven't quite decided for sure, but I think we're going to jump into Daniel next and, and spend some time talking about life in exile and, and God's presence everywhere. But before we do that, you know, it's, it's nominating season around here and I say that for four weeks a year and everybody goes, oh yeah, that's a good idea. And it is a good idea, but, you know, churches have seasons, and, and we're in a season in our church where I just feel like, like God has been so faithful to us. Like, we were a very small church, and then we were a growing church, and then COVID, and we hung in there and did great, and there's some new growth recently, and sometimes you got to take a couple weeks and just kind of cast some vision. Hey, what kind of church do we want to be? What do we want to be like around here, and and what kind of, what, what would our mission be? I, I say the, the mission statement every, uh, um, every Sunday, you know, we, I actually just bought stickers that say be loved and worship and follow. They were ugly. I'm not passing those out. We're getting better stickers. I know they're terrible. Um, yeah, I got anybody know a good sticker guy. Let me know. But I just, I feel like the Lord's just kind of led me to talk about a certain topic over the next just two or three weeks. And and that topic is leadership, that we would be a church that grows leaders and that we would be a church full of people who see themselves as leaders. I guess there's a couple of different ways, and we use the word family a lot around here, and that's what families do really well, grow the next generation of leaders. When they're working well, you can rely on the people that you've poured into, and at a certain point, you kind of look around and go, hey, I might, I might be one of the leaders in this family now. I should probably remember mom's birthday or whatever, you know? And there's a couple of images that I'd like to keep in your mind as we look at, I thought we'd start, I don't know if this will go for two, three weeks, something like that, just a couple of profiles in leadership and, and what, what, it, what it means to be growing towards leadership in a church body. And, and a couple of images keep coming to my mind over and over, and one is a target where if we don't have something that we're moving towards in our faith, then we're going to stagnate pretty quickly. And, you know, we turn into one of the worst things that I think you can turn into as a church-going person, and that is a consumer of religious services. 
that you turn into somebody who feels like you show up to say, wow, Grant missed three chords on that last song. If you think I missed three chords on that last song, you weren't paying attention. I missed far more than that. Or you start saying things like, you know what the church should do? Hey guys, in one sense, there's no such thing as the church. It's just us. I mean, there's the ecclesia, there's the called out, those, there's the, the church, capital C, all people, all time. Also, a local congregation being a church is, is uh, super important. But when we talk about what does the church do, the church doesn't do anything except what we do. We are the church. We are not consumers of religious services. We're the church. And at a church of, I mean, we have a great day. There's 95 of us. Um, that makes a difference. Every one of us serving, growing to leadership is important. And not only important so Lighthouse can be awesome. I want Lighthouse to be awesome. Quite frankly, I would love you guys. I would think we were awesome at 10 people or 1,000 people. That doesn't matter at all to me. But what does matter is that we are all growing towards being the kind of people that are able to not only lead a congregation, but to lead the next generation of Christians, to, to faithfully pass on the sincere faith that was handed to us and not just be consumers of religious services. You with me so far? The other image I would like to us to, to have in our heads is that of a field or a garden. And it's one of the many ways that Paul describes the, the family of God, that we, are, that we are God's field. But here's the thing. Healthy gardens just grow stuff. It's magic to me and you. God does the growing, but we do make the place healthy. You with me? So it's not so much like, one of the reasons that I shy away from talking about stuff like this, one of the reasons I'm not a topical preacher is because I don't think you need my soapbox. I think I should just preach the scriptures as faithfully as I can, and the Holy Spirit will grow us. That's my job. But every once in a while, it's good to take the focus, and still, I promise, there'll be plenty of exegesis here. Topical preaching is great, as long as it's done in an expository, exegetical way. Um, but the reason I shy away from stuff like that sometimes is because you just got to trust the Lord to grow the next generation of leaders. And yet, over and over in the scriptures is a call to make a decision that we would grow, that we would be headed towards, that we would be the kind of healthy little church where leaders grow up in our midst. I'd like to be that kind of place. And I think most of us would like to be that kind of place. So today, I would like to look at Timothy. Um, Timothy was an amazing leader in the early church. And I don't know if I just say his name, what comes to your mind with Timothy. You know, to me, I don't know if this is just because I was a youth pastor for 23 years. But Timothy's youthfulness comes to my mind. Timothy, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young but rather show yourself as an example of those who believe. And Timothy probably was a young guy. Not a, he wasn't a junior higher, but he was probably younger than 30. He had to be 30 to be a rabbi. And so maybe Timothy's youthfulness speaks to him being younger than a 30-year-old as we meet him in the New Testament. But it wasn't his youthfulness that really set him apart. What set him apart was his character. 
And I'd, I'd like to just take a snapshot of Timothy's life. I'm not going to lie. The big reason we're starting with Timothy, Timothy is because nobody was more important to Timothy than his mom and his grandma in developing his character. So it's a day that makes sense to tell this story. But it's not a day, it's not a story that says, well, moms, this is on you. Rather, it's the story that calls us as a church to be a community that grows Timothy's and is led by Timothy's. So first, just take a real, beside his youthfulness, what was Timothy's resume? If I told you that Timothy authored books of the Bible, how many would you guess? Actually, along with Paul, he co-authored 2 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, and Philemon. His name is in the salutation from Paul and Timothy, and sometimes another guy too. So what is that? One, two, three, four, five, six books of the New Testament were co-authored by Timothy. He's a man of great influence in, our, in, in Christendom, in, in our faith. He's mentioned as a key leader in the early church in Hebrews, Romans, and both letters to Corinth. Timothy is cited as somebody who, in some instances, is being sent there to straighten out a mess. In some instances, to plant a church, to shepherd a church. But he's mentioned as one of the key leaders in the early church. Timothy's work is all over the New Testament. And I think if we would, we would look at a guy like Timothy, you would go, does the world need, if I was going to be like preachery about it, I would go, does our culture need Timothy's? We do. We do. Yeah. That's, that's pandering. When I give, there's only one answer to that question, right? Shouldn't, I sh that's bad preaching. But wouldn't we love to be a place where not only young people, but people of all ages had a target ahead of them saying, I want my character, I want my time, I want my life to be such that God can use me in a way like he used Timothy in the early church. Timothy was not only a, an author and a, and a leader, but he pastored the church in Ephesus, which is no joke. Ephesus was a wealthy port city on the Aegean Sea. I'm, Ephesus is of special interest to me. Um, I, I love reading about Ephesus, and so I'm tempted to just launch into a 45-minute discussion of Ephesus. But um, if we were to just say a couple things about it, it was a wealthy city on the Aegean Sea in what is modern-day Turkey. So I think Ephesus might feel a little bit like home, like it was a, it was a, a, a wealthy place, it was full of idolatry. There was one of the ancient, uh, the marvels of the wonders of the ancient world was the temple of Artemis. And I always think about the temple of Artemis in Ephesus, kind of like Disneyland where I grew up. Like it was just, you just grow up. I grew up like two miles from Disneyland. It's just part of the culture. Even a day where you're not doing nothing Disney related, your friend works there. You're going on a date there. You know what I mean? Like that's where it was the cheapest date we could go on. We all had annual passes and parking passes. You just go. You know, it was just like part of the, you couldn't quite get away from it. To see a kid with Mickey Mouse ear hat on was not an unusual thing. It was just like, it was just, you know, had a big deal to do with the local economy, had a big deal to do with the local culture. And, and if, you, if you think something like that, maybe, maybe Pebble Beach would have a similar kind of feel to it. Like, we all know kind of the weekend that the pro-am's happening, nobody's leaving their house, the traffic's terrible. We all know people that work there. We, you know, it's just kind of like the biggest touristy kind of thing to come see in our town. 
The temple of Artemis was like that, and it was, of course, a pagan idolatrous place with all of the pagan idolatrous practices. Because of that temple, it was a tourist town. It was also, because it was a port town, it was easier to get to. And so there were people coming and going all the time. Also, it was a silver town. In fact, there's a riot that breaks out in, uh, in the book of Acts because the gospel has taken hold of a large minority of people in Ephesus and it wrecks the economy. Oh, if the gospel were to take hold it would wreck the economy. Yeah, I wonder if that's still true. All right, that's what you can talk about over Mother's Day lunch. You're going to, you know, it's, it's fine. You're, you're probably going to get in an argument anyway. No, that's not true. That's, that's not true. That's not true. So the gospel had taken hold, but, you know, the gospel makes communities of peace and joy, but it makes those communities of peace and joy at odds with the culture. And that's what was happening in, in Ephesus, and this is where Timothy is the pastor, led to conflicts with the culture, with the, the temple practices, with the temple of Artemis, with the, with the silver, uh, and most of the silver industry there was they're building little Artemis statues. You know, you don't go and get a Mickey Mouse balloon or Mickey Mouse hat. You get, you're like, hey, we went to Ephesus. Check out this little silver statue of Artemis. Ah, I got one of those last, last time we were there. But there it also, because it was a growing movement, because the, the, the gospel was spreading and taking hold, another thing happened that almost always happens, and that was false teachers were popping up in the church. And so there are dangers and threats from outside, and there are also some dangers and threats from inside. Well, that's why we need church leaders to help us with threats from outside, help us threats from inside. Not that we would be a fortress where we are, you know, holding our version of the truth above all else and turn into the salt shaker that nobody can get or get out, but rather where we can remain loving, meaningful, spreading the good news, love, grace, forgiveness of Jesus everywhere we go. So Ephesus was a church at risk from both attacks from without and attacks from within, heresy, false teaching. And in some respects, every church is in that same situation. There's a culture opposed to God, and there's nothing more important than orthodox doctrinal teaching expressed in orthopraxic, I just made that word up, <laughs> doctrinal living. You know, it, it strikes me that when I usually hear words like that preached, that there's nothing more important than the truth, there's nothing more important than orthodox teaching, there's nothing more important than good Christian living, there's anger behind it. If it does not express joy and love, it is not the gospel. If we are not expressing joy, forgiveness, and love, I don't know what it is we're serving, but it's not the gospel. So, to have truth deeply founded and so soft hearts towards God and soft hearts towards people and yet to not be swayed by every, every cultural movement, 
Well, that takes a place where faithful leaders are growing. And when I say faithful leaders, I'm not defending my job either. I'm not talking about faithful doofuses who can talk for 45 minutes on a Sunday morning. In fact, more and more and more in our culture, nobody out there cares what I have to say. They care what you have to say. They care how I live if I mess up, which is appropriate. We should be held accountable if we mess up. But they care how you live day to day. We need to not be a few leadership quality people and a whole bunch of consumers of religious services. Rather, we need to be a church that's growing towards each of us, towards taking our place as leadership character, willing to do the work to protect each other, guide each other, and serve each other. And Timothy is a great example of that. So this is what Timothy's job was. Also, Timothy was a discipler. We'll get to that here in a second. But let's look at Timothy's character. One of the big ideas of leadership in the church is that Christian character precedes leadership. I know that sounds simple, but let me say it 17 more times. Christian character precedes leadership. We do not find hot shots that are good at leading and then hope that they develop Christian character along the way. Rather, the people that, that, that take steps in leadership are people who we look at them and we go, man, I think that's how Jesus thought and acted. They have the love of Christ pouring out of them already. Which means we don't need to be people developing hot shots who are good at talking or even good with money or good, you know, like it'd be great to develop some better guitar players. But, but that's, not, that's not the goal. Rather, we need to be the target that we're talking about pointing at is Christ-like character. That comes before leadership. Another big idea of the, the morning is that Christian leaders come from Christian communities. It's one of the weaknesses of, you know, uh, being not, of not being connected with a, with a church uh, body. It's one of the, the dangers of, you know, YouTube church. And, you know, we do church on YouTube. Hey, mom, I think she's probably, oh, where are you? Hi, mom, she's probably watching today. Um, we do YouTube church because if you're sick and whatever, and, you know, you need to, you want to, you want to stick in with the sermon series or whatever. But the goal is never, ever, ever, ever going to be that that would be your primary contact with your local church body. And it's not just that you need us, it's that we need you. Because the next generation of leaders is going to come from servant-hearted Christian communities where they get to see servant-hearted Christian people doing servant-hearted Christian stuff. And that's not an age thing. If if you're in your 40s, 50s, 60s, God still might want you to be a part of a Christian community that you might grow towards leadership character. In Timothy's life, we see evidence of Christian community all over him. And it started at home. Um, in 2 Timothy uh, 1, 5 through 7, it says, this is Paul talking to, th to Timothy, and it says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. That word is going to pop up over and over today, sincere faith. I just want you, I'm not even going to tell you what it means yet. Maybe I won't at all. Just what does sincere faith mean? Just think. 
I'm reminded of your sincere faith. This is what he saw in Timothy. A faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I'm re- uh, uh, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So I don't, I don't think this is the right thing to say from a pulpit, but in some sense... Faith is transferable. You know what? I'm not sure what I mean by that. Yeah, I, I, I know that some things happen in the New Testament that you go, okay, the guy got lowered down, the cripple got lowered down by his friends through the roof. Jesus saw the faith of the friends and said, your sins are forgiven. What's going on there? Paul looks at Timothy and says, I recognize your grandma's faith in you. I recognize your mom's faith in you. Now, certainly, Timothy is going to have to make his own decisions. In fact, the next line is, so Timothy, don't mess it up. Fan into flame this gift that you've been given. But Timothy had been given a gift. I received a similar gift. I, I had a, a mother who prayed over me and... Um, encouraged me and led me and disciplined me and cared about me and read Bible stories to me. I also had a grandma. Um, I think I've told this story before, but Tiff and I never wanted to leave Southern California. All of our friends growing up were like, we're getting out of here. And we were the ones like, why? This is perfect. We're never going anywhere. And yet a job opportunity happened up here in, in Carmel. And I had to look Carmel up on a map, had no idea where it was. And... Um, and so when we came up to candidate to be the youth, youth pastor out at uh, Sanctuary Bible Church, we stopped at my grandma's house in Bakersfield on the way and um, talked to grandma about it. And um, grandma prayed over me. And one of the most important things, it was a different conversation, but several years earlier, I know I've told you this story before too, but several years earlier when I was a little angsty, and you're not going to believe this, a little, little, little angst, a little anger. I know that doesn't sound like me, but there it was. And... Um, and uh, I was just kind of fed up. Christian leaders were falling left and right. Does this sound like anything, like Twitter? Um, and, and I was just kind of fed up with the whole thing. And I asked my grandma, Grandma, do you even like going to church anymore? And grandma said, oh, to hear the gospel? Yes. And I went, oh, that's the truth. Yeah. It's probably, you know, close to 80 years old. I want to go to church to hear the gospel. There was a freshness every time she heard it. So we were, we were there uh, on our way up, and, and I, I just remember her putting hands on me and Tiffany and, and praying for us that we would have wisdom and that this would be the right church. And, and we ended up taking that job, and it's been a huge, you know, set the course of our lives. It's been a huge blessing ever since. And it, uh, it, it, was, always, it was always funny. Grandma had Alzheimer's, and and struggled with, you know, memory stuff and dementia the, for the rest of her life. And, and um, as that story of me stopping at her house grew, it went from we stopped by to pray for her to we stopped by. So she called the pastor and told them they had, like, that's not what happened. But in grandma's mind, that's what happened. And, and the last time she was telling that story, um, she, she had known of that job and she told the pastor he had to hire me, right? So... Um, and I always thought, you know, that's not actually how the story went, but it's, it's also, there's something true about it, that grandma's faith 
um, is resident in me. And that was true of Timothy as well. Um, which means, moms, it's not a Mother's Day sermon necessarily, but moms, if you're thinking about being a mom, it means the first and, first and foremost, the most important thing we can ever do if we're going to impart faith to the next generation is to have it, is to possess it, because you cannot impart what you do not possess. If you would like to be the kind of person that imparts faith to the next generation, the first thing to do is have a sincere faith yourself. Get as close to Jesus as you possibly can. But even that is no guarantee for sure because it turns out we can't control our kids or what they do. Our kids have their own relationship with God and they're going to have to make their own choices. And, and especially as they grow, their actions are their own responsibility. Even Timothy is told to fan into flame the gifts that God has given. He is responsible for his own faith and actions. Even with a mom like Eunice, Timothy is going to have to fan into flame this gift of God in his own life. But what we can do, and this is not only for grandmas and, gra and moms, for Lois and Eunice, but we as a church community, we can demonstrate a sincere faith to each other. It was Timothy's choice to follow God or not, but he absolutely grew up knowing what sincere faith looked like. So, it started at home, but it included brothers and sisters in the church. So moms, you are very important in this work, but you are not alone in this work. Acts 16 that Jenny read to us said that when Paul found Timothy, he had a good reputation among some of your Bible say brothers, that word is siblings, it's brothers and sisters. He had a good reputation among the brothers and sisters in the church. There was an active relationship there. He had been pouring in, he had been living life in a church community and the church community had been living life around him and he had demonstrated a good, a good um, you know, character. 2 Timothy 1.6 said there was a laying on of hands. So Timothy's growth was at church. Timothy's launching in ministry had not just between, been between Timothy and God. Uh, that's not how leadership works. People don't just show up and go, hi, I'm a leader. Rather, it is in community. Timothy had grown in community. Timothy had been discipled in community. And now Timothy is being launched from the community. Lighthouse, you want to be a church like that? Like we're never, not all of us are going to be church planters, but we could launch church planters. Not all of us are going to be Bible scholars, but we could grow each other into some Bible scholars. And really, we all should be Bible scholars in one way or another. What a picture of a healthy church family. So he's got mom and grandma. He also has a church family. He also has Paul as a mentor. 2 Timothy 1, 2 through 4 says this, to Timothy, Paul writing to Timothy again, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father to Christ our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that, I'm, that I may be filled with joy. Man, we all need a Paul in our lives. And if, if you need a Paul, somebody else might need you to be a Paul. We got a lot of people that need somebody pouring into them. There's less people willing to be that person pouring in in this kind of way to another person.
You know, we're told, we'll talk about this a little bit more, but, but we're told that Timothy's dad was a Greek guy, not a, not a Jew, and wasn't looking for the Jewish Messiah. We have no evidence that his dad became a Christian, although let's hope he did. But really that faith wasn't, hadn't resided in dad, the faith had resided in mom. And I don't, I mean, I've worked with enough young men to know that Paul speaking like this into Timothy's life had to be salve on a wound that could not have been more important, connecting Timothy to his Jewish roots and also being a Christian man, speaking truth, speaking encouragement into Timothy's life. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace and mercy and peace from God. Hey, somebody might have gone six months, a year, years without anybody putting their hand on their shoulder and going, hey, Grant, grace to you, peace to you in Jesus' name. We got to be a place where we're doing that to each other, where we're pouring into each other in that kind of way. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors. Don't you think he's going to hate Timothy, as did our ancestors? You are connected. He felt like an outsider. With a clear conscience, I remember you constantly in my prayers. Having somebody who's praying for you. As I remember your tears, Tim, I know it's been tough. I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. And you are lying if that's not something you crave. And we all crave that. Well, we have to be that. We all need a Paul. Someone pulling for us. Someone who sees something in us. I remember in early adulthood that um, my, my mom and dad saw that, that not only me, but a, a group of friends at church about my age that, that we needed that. And so they started a college group but didn't lead it. Rather, Russ and April Stratton led it. And we just got to go to Russ's house and um, listen to music and pray and watch Russ be a Christian man. And gosh, that was important. As I think about how my characters develop, still a work in process, but I think about about a guy named Roger Royster who, who just took me aside and poured into me, just prayed for me. I heard my name come out of his mouth in prayer over and over and over again. I think about the guy that first lacked enough sense to hire me in ministry, and his name was Rod Randall. A lot of R's in my past. Um, and I think about those times, you know, scuffed up combat boots, flannel around my waist, hair to the middle of my back. I'm your junior high director. And Rod just pouring into me. And even like never telling me to get a haircut, but telling me to develop my character. I look at Pastor Dave, who I worked for for 15 years at Sanctuary, and um, it's a debt that I'll never be able to repay. There's other people that need that. And if you're a maturing Christian, there are people that need you to be Paul in their life. And if we're going to be the church we want to be, it's not going to be because we do fancy stuff. 
It's not going to be because the music's good. It's not going to be um, because the preaching's good. It's never going to get any better than this. It's going to be because we have people who care to pour into other people. The people like Lois and Eunice pouring into him at home, church community pouring into him, and then Paul as a mentor. Timothy was given some gifts. And we need to be a church that gives gifts like that. Second, as we think about Timothy's character, let's look at, at what Timothy's character was actually like. Timothy's character was other-centered. It was focused on others. I don't know if this struck, stuck out to you when Jenny was reading from, from Acts 16, but before ta- Paul took Timothy around with him uh, in, in, in mission, in service, uh, Paul took Timothy and circumcised him. That seems like a pretty big thing. Like, if that's all you knew, with no context at all, you might be, man, they were serious about this. Like, that is a huge, like, that's a huge ask. Hey, Timothy, I want you to come with me that we might go on mission for Jesus. Great, Paul. You're the man. I love being mentored by you. Let's go. One thing, we got to go circumcise you. I, I, oh my, you know, I forgot. I, it's almost baseball season. It's going to be tough. But like most things, you add a little context to that. And Timothy's character is even more impressive. In the previous chapter, Acts 15, do you know Acts 15? In Acts 15 is the first of the great church councils. And the thing they are trying to figure out at this first uh, great church council is, do people need to be faithful Jews in order to be a faithful Christian? Do you have to convert to Judaism in order to be a Christian? After all, Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. Jesus is a Jewish dude. Jesus was circumcised. Jesus kept the um, kept the Sabbath. Jesus had a kosher diet. Jesus was a faithful Jew. So shouldn't we have to become faithful Jews before we can be a follower of the Jewish Messiah? And this was like the big struggle. And it happened to, in the church so quickly that it's recorded in Acts. It's like halfway through Acts. They've already got a crisis and a church split about to happen. And so they're trying to figure it out. And there were big names at that uh, meeting. At that church council, you have, um, let's see, I wrote them down so I wouldn't mess it up. Um, Peter, James, John, Barnabas, Paul, among others. Those are the guys that wrote your Bible. Like, these are big names, and these are the guys that took the message of Jesus to the first generation of Christians. So we're not talking about this is Pope such and such in the year whatever. No, 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 no. These are like Peter and Paul sitting down arguing this stuff out. And what they had come up with was this, that you absolutely did not have to be circumcised in order to be a Christian. You did not have to be a, uh, a Jew to first, uh, first before you could be Christian, but rather Gentiles were absolutely, because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross, were absolutely welcome to join the family of God. No need to be circumcised. No need to be keep a kosher kitchen. Some days are, are holy to some. Some days are holy to the other. Eat meat if it's okay with your conscience and don't if it's not. Like, hey, this is all about Jesus, we're not going to worry about this legal stuff anymore. And then the very next chapter is Acts 16, and, and Paul circumcises Timothy before he'll take him on a mission trip. What's going on? Well, I, I wrote stuff down. I hope I, hope I have some answers. <laughs> 
See, Timothy's dad was a Greek guy. And Timothy, because his father was not Jewish, hadn't been dedicated at the temple on the eighth day after he had been born. It wasn't important to his old man. Timothy's mom was a Jewish woman, but her name is Eunice is a Greek name. Also, Grandma Lois has a Greek name too. So we don't want to assume too much, but it sure looks like that these were faithful Jewish women living in, with Greek influence all around them, living very Hellenistic lives. So Timothy is given this faith, but from the outside, not the credentials of being a Jewish guy. He sure seemed like a Greek dude to everybody who met him. In fact, we're told, I don't know how you could possibly know this, but we're told that as he went around, Paul circumcised him because everybody knew that he hadn't been circumcised. And I'm like, what was culture like? I just don't know what, at what level that conversation comes up, how quickly. I have no idea. I should have studied more. But see, Paul's standard practice was to go into a town and start with the Jewish community. First to the Jew, then the Gentile. So he would start in a synagogue on the Sabbath. And he would adhere to the Jewish customs. He would go be a Jew because he was a Jew. And he knows that if he brings Timothy in here, he's not going to get much of a chance to talk about Jesus unless they get everything else out of the way. So again, we shouldn't assume too much, but it's very possible that Paul thinks it would be wise for Timothy to be circumcised, not because he needs to, but rather because that might be a barrier of faith to the Jewish people whom he's called to minister. And I can't think of a better definition of leadership character. If you want to know what that target is, what we're pointing at, it's this, that we would be the kind of people that instead of demanding our rights, lay down our rights so that others can see Jesus more clearly. Timothy has the right to remain uncircumcised. Peter said, I don't have to. John said, I don't have to. Uh, Like Barnabas said, I don't have to. Nobody thinks I have to. No, Timothy, nobody thinks you have. This is not about you and your rights. This is about being all things to all people so that we might win some. What if our church, what if the church, what if every church was filled with people willing to lay down their rights in order to win the lost, to remove stumbling stones. I don't have time, but, but I thought maybe we'd read 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23 together, and that's that conversation as Paul goes, look, I have the right to do whatever I want. In Christ, I am free. But among the Jews, I act like a Jew because I'm trying to win Jews. And among the Gentiles, I act like a Gentile because I'm trying to win Gentiles. And I have become all things to all people so for the sake of the gospel, I might win some. And apparently he trained Timothy so well in that, that was a very natural thing for Timothy to do. So let's go. I'll, you know, let's go grab a bag of frozen peas on the way and let's get this circumcision done. And, and in a couple of weeks, I'll be ready to go. You should try teaching this to junior boys. You think it's giggly in this room. If we're going to be a church that wins souls, 
we're going to be a church that loves people in Jesus' name like Jesus would, that's the character. That's the call. It's not arguing about doctrine. It's living it out. Just maybe briefly, maybe not so briefly, let's look at Timothy's call. This is what he was called to do. We've seen his character. We saw how he got his character. Let's be a place that's a garden that's just popping character like Timothy's up all over the place. Youth ministry, character. Youth ministry, David alone? No, he needs, he needs leaders. Go do it. Like there's kids need to be shown this. Do it. Uh, children's ministry, music ministry, uh, leadership teams. It's, it's not about have to. It's not about being one of the bosses in a, in a, in a well, what would you call it, in a corporation. There's, there's no kingdom to win here. Jesus already won it. He's the king. Rather, this is about being the kind of place where this is the kind of character that's popping up everywhere. Timothy's call comes through 1 Timothy 1 through uh, 3 through 5. Um, this obviously just a truncated version of it. There's a lot more to say. But as I urged you, Paul talking to Timothy again, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love. The aim of our charge is love. If we are living, teaching, acting in a way contrary to love, we're doing something, but it ain't church. Love that issues, not love defined by you or me, but love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and here's our word again, a sincere faith. Just a few things to point out. Timothy's call is to remain at Ephesus. Just to stay. Just to continue to be there. It's not how Paul lived his life. Paul was an itinerant preacher. I think two, three years was the most he was ever anywhere. And he said, Timothy, Ephesus is going to have its challenges. I need you to stay. I need you to be there. I need you to love that church. I need, to, I need you to love those people. You know, I would issue that as, as a call for us too. What we're looking for with leaders around here is people who will love the church long term. We don't need great ideas. The Bible's got all the ideas. We don't need new, innovative, I don't know what, even those new innovative programs. What's the word I'm looking for? No, rather, we need the long game of remaining and loving over time. You know, one of the, I'm mindful that there's some military folks in the room that you're not going to be here long term. You're going to be gone soon. Well, man, this is what we'd like to carry with you, you to carry with you, that you would remain faithful in churches as you are hopping around in military service and that someday when you retire and there's that church where you're at for a long time, that this is the character you've developed. Just remain. Love the church. We need to be loved. You need to be loved, and we need to be loved back. Confront false teaching. Not going out into the world and arguing every heresy. There's, we, we got Twitter's full of it. We got plenty of people mad about all kinds of things. Rather, 
when unloving things come up in the church that, that we would have the kind of character to know how to squash it in love. This is protecting the flock. I, lo- I love the code he even uses here. Uh, Paul tells, Tim- tells Timothy, remain in Ephesus and stop certain people <laughs> from their heresies. I bet you he knew who those certain people were. Elsewhere, Paul makes it clear that he is less concerned with the lies of the culture and more concerned with the, when those lies seep into the church. And then he says, Timothy, remain there and teach the aim. Our aim is love. Love means selflessness. Love means getting circumcised when you don't have to. Love uh, is, is saying, I consider you more important than me. And this is not something that comes naturally. We have to teach this to each other. People have to be taught to love. People have to be taught to be humble. People have to be taught to serve. People have to be taught to give. People have to be taught to forgive. Paul says, teach love from a pure heart. You know what purity means, right? Not focused on career, family, uh, achievement, legacy, and then maybe Jesus over here. But but no, no, this needs to come from a heart that is centered. The only thing going on is your faith. And all of that stuff will be ordered as God puts it in order. Love from a pure heart with a good conscience. That good conscience is this idea that I'm not acting like a Christian because I think God is up there with a lightning bolt ready to strike if I mess up, but rather, this is the life I want to live. This is what my conscience tells me to do, is to love people in Jesus' name. And then there's that sincere faith. You know, the the Greek sincere faith is is undisguised unfeigned he's not faking it it's true it's an obvious faith it's what he really means it's interesting how distinct how different the world's idea of what a leader should be and what the church's idea of what a leader should be are it's not silver-tongued and it's not fancy and it's not great ideas It's faithful, loving character. So the hope is that we would be a place, a garden, where faithful, loving characters popping up all around us. And my hope would be that each of us, our goal would be that kind of character and we would be open to God using us. Timothy's job is a pretty big job. And it's, Tif- it's, uh, it's Tiffany. Tiffany's a great example of all of this. And it's Timothy's faithfulness and character that qualifies him for that big job. It's Timothy's family and church community and mentors that prepared him for that big job. Do you see yourself in there? Who are you pouring into? What would Lighthouse look like with a bunch of Timothys running around? Such a simple, you know, it would be great if there was like 3rd Timothy and it's like, here's where they had the new church building and they tore down the temple of Artemis and put up the uh, uh, church to Jesus. And all of it, that, that's it's just not what happened. We are told there in Acts 16, so the churches were strengthened in the faith. I so appreciated Jenny's prayer a minute ago. God, would you strengthen our church too? The results of Timothy and Paul's ministry is that churches were strengthened. 
not in a Western culture, impressive kind of like, and then there was a building project and, and then all the salaries got doubled or whatever. Um, no, rather that they were strengthened in faith. People were more confident. People were able to love each other better. Churches were protected, defended. It was never for personal gain. Timothy didn't, didn't get rich or famous. In fact, Timothy was set in Ephesus in part to defend the church against people who wanted to use the church for personal gain. In fact, church history tells us that Timothy most likely remained in Ephesus the rest of his life and was martyred there, was martyred for his faith there in Ephesus. It's possible that John was part of Timothy's church. He was definitely in Ephesus. It's also probable that Mary was, um, Jesus' mom was part of this church, that she ended up in Ephesus. I don't know it for sure, but church history would, uh, would give us that. But it wasn't personal gain, and it wasn't, and this is how to save a million people, but rather this is how to be a healthy church. No huge revival, just a lifetime of standing up for truth, of service to the church, of defending the church against heresy, of teaching the true faith and training others to do the same. Because when Timothy was put in Ephesus, Paul said, go find other people to do this alongside you. You come from a community, now grow a community. May we be a place guarded by Timothy's and a place that raises Timothy's. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of each other. Thank you for um, the way you have, you have knitted our hearts together in love. Thank you for the sweet family spirit that is in our church. God, thank you for um, the, the call to love each other. And God, I pray that as each of us thinks about what our role would be in, um, in loving each other in, G in your name, Jesus, in, in discipling each other, in mentoring each other, in finding people who need to be spoken into like Timothy needed from Paul, um, seeking out when we are the Timothy and we need somebody to pour into us, seeking that out. Lord, I pray that you would make this a place that grows healthy leaders, that you would help us to grow into. Lord, we are a healthy little church, but would you deepen that? Would you uh, help us to be the church that you would like Lighthouse to be? I love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.